Good evening. Welcome to Beijing Diary. This is Eric in Kunming. I want to talk about the coming election tomorrow. Actually, I say tomorrow. It's uh, it's actually uh, Tuesday morning here in uh, China. Monday afternoon in on the West Coast. Monday evening on the East Coast. And Tuesday morning here in China. So, what will Tuesday bring? I want to talk about this in in basically two ways, two aspects, I guess I should say. First of all, the scientific part, and secondly, the spiritual part. I am of the belief that science and the Bible. Are always in harmony. Science and religion are not always in harmony. Science is light, and religion is darkness. And there's a conflict between science and religion. There's also a conflict between Bible and religion. Sometimes, religion is man's ideas about how to reach God, and God's ideas are not always the same as man's ideas. Religion comes from man. Religion is man-made. The Bible comes from God, as the Scripture says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, what does the Bible have to say about this election? About how the process will take place? I want to look at both of these because it's very interesting and very, very important comparison. So understand where I'm coming from. I always uh, I, I look at the science and the Bible as both being light. Man's ideas are darkness, but God's ideas are light. Science comes from God. The Bible comes from God. So first, the science uh, polling is broken. It doesn't work. That's why there's so much anxiety on both sides because. The polls are showing Biden ahead, but we know from the election of 2016 that、uh, the polls, you know, it, it, in that election, did not predict the winner. I remember、uh, reading the New York Review books, stuff like,、uh, you know, you, New York Review, Review books when、uh, was it Bob Silver? I think that's his name. When he was running it, it was it was a fantastic.、Uh, Literary magazine, but now it's become sort of a you know left-wing political rag. And、uh, I was reading, you know, if Trump loses by a very wide margin, we may become overconfident. <laughs> That, that's the way people were thinking, you know. The day before the election, I had it on my screen. I should have done a screen capture of it. New York Times saying Hillary has about eighty-nine percent chance of winning, and、uh, everybody thought she was going to win. She had the glass ceiling already there.、Uh, they didn't get to use it. So Democrats who remember four years ago are not exactly not exactly confident. But there's a bit of angst on the Republican side too because、uh, things have changed. Are the polls really as inaccurate now as they were then? Nobody knows. 
All right, so why is why are we having this problem? This might be a little boring for you, but it's really important. So pay close attention. The principle is probability. Probability is science. It is nature. It is God-given. It is absolutely dependable. Now, when I say probability, I'm talking about the pattern. So take a piece of paper, number from 1 to 100, and then toss a coin 100 times. Make sure you flip it so that it spins several times, you know, so that there's not anything you're doing to influence how it lands. And then write it down, you know, number one, heads, tails, whatever. Number two, number three, and one to a hundred. Spin it a hundred times. Now, can I predict what number 37 is going to be? Of course not. Because each coin toss is separate from each other, you know. It could be heads, could be tails. But I can absolutely guarantee you, you're not going to have 99 heads and one tail. You see, with probability, the individual result is not predictable. But the pattern is very predictable. Now, why is that important? Because polling is based on probability. You want to know how a million people are going to vote. So, how are you going to find that out? Actually going to talk to a million people? No, posters don't do that. They might talk to a thousand people, less than that sometimes. Can you actually predict what, how a million people are going to vote by only talking to a thousand of them? The answer to that question is yes, you absolutely can. If, if, capital letters boldface, if that thousand people is a truly random sample of the million. So, how do you get a random sample of a million people? Well, you get a million little strips of paper, write everybody's name on it, and get this great big hat, <laughs> and uh, find out how to shake it, because it's going to be huge. Uh, well, there are a variety of ways. With computers, it's not that hard, I suppose, to generate and although I don't know how much, how much the random generators are really random. I use them quite a bit in my teaching. I used to have discussion groups, and one student came to me one day and said, we're always in the same groups. So we should change around a little. I said, you know, she's got a point. I wrote a little program in PLSQL, put a random generator in it. Every time we had a discussion, I'd just run that little thing and say, okay, here are the groups. They're all assigned randomly. But let me let me let me talk about polling and and why we're having trouble. When I was a kid, I grew up in Japan, but I lived for four years of my childhood in North Dakota, small town in North Dakota. And uh, I went there when I was three, and I went back to Japan when I was seven. And uh, Williston at that time had what I don't know, ten thousand, twelve thousand people. I don't know. Uh, a small town. And we had a phone book. And every house in town had a landline, and their name was in the phone book. Now, later, when I got into high school and college, I started to hear about unlisted numbers. What? What was an unlisted number? 
and cell phones. But in those days, no cell phones. Everybody's name was in the phone book. So you could literally pick every tenth name in the phone book, and you'd probably have just about a perfect random sample of the population. But now, <laughs> cell phones, <laughs> how do you do that? Well, you can take the voter registration rolls. Assuming you have to be registered to vote in a given state, you can take the, the registered voter list, get a random sample of that. But the problem with that is there are a lot of people who are registered to vote who didn't, don't even live in that state anymore. Lots of others who are registered but aren't actually going to vote. How do you find that out? Well, you can ask questions like, how likely are you to vote? And so on. But it's just really, really difficult to get a random sample. Uh, probability is very, very predictable. You've probably seen a deal where uh, you get a bunch of pins in a certain pattern and then falls down through this little sieve and, you know, I mean, not uh, a bunch of pin, uh, it's a bunch of beads and then a bunch of pins that falls down through these pins. You can watch these little BBs, you know, going down. You cannot predict where one of them, where any particular one of them is going to land, but you can actually absolutely predict the pattern. It's the same every time. So probability is very, very reliable. Yeah. If it's completely random. So if you come to me and say, well, I flipped that coin a hundred times and, and I got 75 tails and huh? Well, my question to you would be, was every toss around random? Well, I thought for a while, I thought there were getting to be too many heads, so I sort of helped it a little bit. Well, then it's not random anymore. If it's not random, you haven't got a, you know, it's, you, you're not dealing with probability. Now, a good example of this is, Nevada. I was in the trucking industry for seven years. Drove the highways of America, and I used to stop at casinos a lot because they had really cheap meals. I remember one time I was coming through Reno, ran into a wall of snow. It was late at night, and uh, it was just unbelievable, heavy snow. And I was really upset. I thought, man, I do not want to be stuck out here on the highway. I got to get to Boomtown. Boomtown is right west of Reno. And I was so relieved when I pulled into Boomtown, you know, fueled up and snow was just piling down, but I managed to get back into a slot and I was stuck there for about a week. But you can imagine if I'd been stuck out on the road. Uh, but why did I want to get to Boomtown? They got a huge uh, trucker's lounge. They got a huge, uh, you know, the trucker's dining room. Buffet, all-you-can-eat buffet, $3, $2 if you fuel. A beautiful place, you know, a whole big RV park. So why so cheap? Well, the gamblers were paying for it. And even to go to the trucker's dining room, you had to walk past a lot of machines. I remember one time I was up in the northern part of Montana. This is in a smaller town. And uh, I don't know what I was doing, what, what, which, which way my load was going, but I, I was walking on the sidewalk, and a, a lady said to me, do you know there's a good place to eat? I said, yeah, there's a casino right down there. they got pretty good food. She said, oh, no, 
I couldn't go into a casino. I said, why not? I can't walk by the machines. She was serious. She was serious. She couldn't walk by the machines without putting coins in it. Uh, I don't know if I ever put coins in the machine in Boomtown. I have, you know, just for fun of it, but I don't know if I ever did there. But I remember one time I was in a little truck stop that had a casino and had a really nice little restaurant. So I, I was walking by there. I stuck a couple quarters in a slot machine. I don't know, two, three quarters. And some bunch of money comes out. I stuffed it in my pocket and went in the restaurant and got breakfast. And uh, I came out and this guy comes up to me and he says, he points at the machine. He says, ah, oh, sir, is this the machine you were having luck with? <laughs> having luck with? <laughs> the, the, the face people put in, 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 in probability, it's just unbelievable. I was in a casino one time and I saw these guys gambling, you know, putting machine, coins in, and one guy's gently caressing the machine, you know, caressing the machine. That's gonna help anything. You know, it's 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 a it's a scam. It's a fraud. The gaming commission in Nevada actually tells casinos how much they are allowed to screw you. It's not random. It's maybe you could say it's modified random, <laughs> but let me put it this way: when you walk into a casino with a thousand quarters, and you count, you know, tabulate, keep track. Every time you put a quarter, and you put a little mark down there, and count your money when you put a put your thousand quarter in. Sometimes you're going to have lots of money come out, and sometimes you're not. But I guarantee you, you're not going to walk out of there with a thousand quarters. Whatever you're going to walk out is going to be less than a thousand. Casinos are in the business to make money. And how do they make money? By making sure that you walk out with less than what you came in with. Gambling is big business. Why is it big business? Because a lot of money flows in. More money goes in than comes out. I was in a casino one time in Nevada. Truck stop. And uh, <clears throat> I saw a guy in there with a can of coins. And he he had the most depressed look on his face. I said, how's it going? He said, Oh, my wife came in here this afternoon and lost $40. <laughs> and I could tell, you know, he just could not afford to miss that $40. Not rich. But he's coming back to the same place where his wife got screwed to get, try to get it back. Give me a break. <sighs> it's, it's, it's a, it's a scam. One time I, I, uh, I was uh, having breakfast, and a guy comes walking in, and he said, Wow, I was in the casino all night and only lost $12. I said, Well, that's $12 less than what you had when you went in. He said, Oh, yeah, but there was times I was $100 to the good. <laughs> well, he should have quit while he was ahead. But uh, you don't quit. That's the problem. So... Uh, this is the issue, you know. Uh, polls are broken. We, we, it's, 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 it's very difficult to get a sample that is truly random of the people who are actually going to cast a vote. But there are other factors influencing this. Uh, one is the enthusiasm level. Uh, by enthusiasm level, I mean the percentage of people who say they are going to vote for someone 
and also say that they like that person. They're going to vote for them because they like them. In Trump's case, the enthusiasm level is very high. A very high percentage of people who say they're going to vote for them say they're voting for him because they like him. In Biden's case, the enthusiasm level was very low. Lowest I've ever heard of in an American election. It's about 30%. 30% of the people who say they're going to vote for Biden say they're voting for him because they like him. 70%, and then again, how do we know? You know, it might be 20%, it might be 40 You know, we don't know because those results are t determined by polling. And as I said, polling is broken. But 70%, according to the poll, 70% say they're voting for him because they don't like Trump. Now, that presents a liability for the Democrats. Why? Because when you have that high a percentage of disaffected voters, what happens on Election Day very often is that a certain percentage of those people just throw up their hands and say, well, I'm not going to vote for anybody. I don't care for Biden, but at least I'm not voting for Trump. Well, not voting for Biden is not exactly a vote for Trump, but uh, maybe you could argue it's a half a vote for Trump. So that uh, is a, a problem. But that presents a problem for the uh, the Trump supporters, too, because I see a lot of supporters of Trump saying, look at these huge rallies. But, you know, what do you have? What if you have fifty thousand people at a rally? What's fifty thousand next to a million? Uh, so the big rallies. You look at Trump's rallies, huge. You look at Biden's rallies, small. Well, if Biden had a high enthusiasm rate, and in other words, eighty, ninety percent of the people who said they were going to vote for him said they liked him, then you could say, well, he hasn't got a chance. But the fact that he has a very low enthusiasm rate means that. The reason people aren't going to his rallies isn't because they're not going to vote for him. It's because they're not enthusiastic about him. They don't like him. Why would they go to his rallies? So it presents a liability for the Republicans because it's impossible to calculate how many people are going to vote for Biden that really, really can't stand him, don't like him, but hate Trump worse or hate Trump more. So this uh, election is very difficult to predict. And another problem is I hear a lot of, read a lot of Republicans or conservatives, Trump supporters, talking about how he's going to win by a landslide. But I read more than one of them, and, you know, the whole article is mainly filled with why he should win. Well, Biden is no good, and Biden, you know, that's not, <laughs> you know, that's according to your view of it. But that doesn't determine how, whether or not he's going to, to win. So... There's a lot of question about this, but there are the makings of a Trump landslide. There's just a, a lot of question about whether that can can can, can actually happen. The polls are tightening, uh, but they have been consistently showing Biden ahead. And uh, if there were no 2016, I think uh, most people would. Uh, probably say that Biden, Biden has it. But you see, because of 2016, the Democrats are not confident, except the ones who forgotten four years ago. But the ones who have been following politics over the years are not, not relaxing at all, and they're not resting at all. Because uh, 
this is the way it was four years ago. And Trump had uh, a significant margin of victory. So if you just look at the polls, Biden's ahead. If you look at history, Trump uh, definitely has it. It would be historical. It would be an, a, a historical aberration if Trump lost. The campaigning process is a rig, rigorous process. And the person who campaigns the hardest gets elected. Hillary campaigned a lot harder than Biden, but she took a lot of time off last time. And Trump looked like he was always, you know, he's just a very high-energy person. One of the most extremely high-energy people I've ever, ever seen in American politics. Always looked like he's just getting started. So he, he that's a big part of why he won. Because of the Electoral College, you know, I don't want to get sidetracked into the Electoral College, but I, I do believe, I'm not a big fan of democracy, but I do believe in the Electoral College because the Electoral College ensures regional distribution. It forces you to campaign all over the place. You can't just go to New York and, you know, San Francisco or L.A., you know. <laughs> you, you have to go all over the place. You have to talk to all the people because of the Electoral College. If there were no Electoral College, you'd go to a couple big cities, and that's where the campaigns would take place. They'd forget the farm states are irrelevant if you don't have an Electoral College. So because of the Electoral College, the, the process is very grueling. And the person who sees the most people and goes to the most places wins. So if Trump actually ended up losing the way Biden has been campaigning, that would be historic. That would be absolutely bizarre. Biden, over and over again, putting a lid on his campaign at 9 o'clock in the morning. I mean, you know, that would be, that'd be strange. Really, really strange if he can win by doing that. But there's a lot of anger in America. A lot of hatred. Trump is a very polarizing candidate. Even many of his supporters are saying he should be a shoo-in with the economy the way it is. You know, 33% growth. Uh, I said, uh, I wrote on Facebook, you know, the person who's going to be elected, the people who come, walk into the voting booths and, and can say that they're better off than they were four years ago, they're going to they're gonna vote for the person who's in power. And that, that percentage is very high right now. Like fifty-six percent, that's that's very high. Better off than you were four years ago. So history would put Trump in the right in the White House, but the polls are saying Biden, but uh, not by that wide a margin. And uh, it seems to be tightening. So that has, if if we look at two thousand sixteen, if the same thing happens, that could present a landslide for Trump. Okay, but again, as I said, the polls are broken. One pollster uh, said the other day, if, if, if Trump wins, we're finished. He wasn't saying the country's finished like the Democrats would be saying, you know. He was saying the polling industry. Polling is a high-dollar industry, and they're scared. The pollsters want Trump to lose, not because they don't like Trump, but because... Their industry is hanging in the balance. And they don't know what to do. It's it's not working. Polls are not predicting who who the, who the winner is. So if Trump loses, you know they they've got a, a new lease on life. Maybe they can 
extend their existence for a while. But if Trump wins, it's like, you know, what could our pull? And those are big, big companies. And they're trying, you know. I mean, now some of them, some of them, I think, have a pretty strong political uh, motivation. I don't see them being that objective. But like Rasmussen, for example. Rasmussen supposedly has, is supposed to be leaning more conservative. Uh, at least that's the reputation it has. But they even, even have been showing Biden ahead. And these, these are serious people. I was li- uh, listening to Mark, uh, this is Mark Rasmussen. I mean, these are knowledgeable, you know, very experienced people in polling, but they're really having difficulty. They're, they're, they're really having a hard time predicting. So that's the, that's the scientific part. Now I want to talk about, uh, uh, the spiritual part of it. Where does God come into the picture? As if God comes into the picture. <laughs> God created the picture. <laughs> Let's take a break, and when we come back, I'll talk about that aspect of it, which is equally as important. I say equally. I, 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 should, I should say more important, but, but really not, because science also is created by God. God is over everything. But I want to talk about the spiritual side of it uh, when we come back. I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The U.S. presidential election will be decided tomorrow, though it may take days to count the votes. Ron Hutchcraft of Ron Hutchcraft Ministries says Christians need to model the unconditional love of Christ at a time of strife and bitter division. The election results will cause some people to rejoice. Others will be disappointed or even afraid. Christians need to treat others with respect, understanding, and gentleness, always pointing to Jesus Christ as the one true King. And even as the Philippines struggle through flooding, storm damage, terrorism, and COVID-19, there's an encouraging story. A local ministry leader and three co-workers were waiting to get through a security checkpoint on Mindanao. The leader began sharing the gospel with the Muslim soldiers who were detaining them. By the time he was finished praying, a group of soldiers had accepted Christ. Considering the mountain of challenges faced in the Philippines, it's an amazing story. And you can learn more at missionnews.org. Yeah, fear. That's interesting. I would have said anger or hatred. But yeah, I think people are scared. The America that we have known seems to be... You know, America, I would say, is a, is a civilization in decline. America is turning away from God, and it's becoming... Close the window there. It's becoming more more ungodly. Uh, but I want to talk about the spiritual side of it, you know, because we, we, you know, Americans live in a democracy and uh, Americans pride themselves in their democracy. But the Bible says promotion comes not, comes neither from the west, east nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. Put us down one. And lift it up another. Or set us up another. King James. God is the one who puts presidents in power. And people who believe in democracy think that they are the ones who are putting the president in power. And I, I really want to talk about this because 
America is cursed with democracy. Now that may surprise some people to hear me talk that way. But you might as well know I believe in God. I do not believe in democracy. I'm not principally opposed to it. But I think there is a problem with putting faith in it. You see, democracy is not the source of freedom. I was talking to uh, one of my Israeli uh, coffee bar friends in Beijing one time. And uh, I said, you know, people think freedom comes from democracy. Democracy does not produce freedom. And he said, well, you're right that democracy does not guarantee freedom, but it would be hard to have freedom without democracy. Well, that's interesting, but I don't think it's necessarily true. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Uh, Americans uh, modified that a little bit. They say democracy exalts a nation, and tyranny is a reproach to any people. Americans despise tyranny. Exalt democracy. The problem is that democracy does not bring freedom. And this is a problem that so many Americans uh, have uh, fallen into. Even Christians. If we can just make all these countries democratic, everything will be wonderful. I'll tell you what, if China became a democracy today, I would leave tomorrow. <laughs> There's no way I would want to see American-style democracy in China. Democracy, historically, is an aberration. It's bizarre. Allowing the people to rule themselves? Are you nuts? And, you know, we talk about democracy in Greece. Democracy in Greece was any, wasn't anything like American democracy. American democracy is incredible. To give the masses that much power and who rules them. But, historically, democracy was a gift by God to a free people. You see, if the people are righteous and their hearts are toward God and they are determined to rule in righteousness, then they can handle even something so precarious as democracy. But when the people become wicked and turn from God, then democracy becomes tyranny. Democracy actually is a form of modified mob rule. It's, it's not a good form of government. And I'm reminded of that uh, statement by attributed to Churchill, you know, democracy is a very bad form of government, except all the others which are so, which are so much worse. I used to see that on a program when I was a kid in Japan. We had a lot of American shows, but uh, but they were dubbed in Japanese, you know. We, we watched Bonanza every week. Hoss and Little Joe, those guys, you know, speaking Japanese. But we had one show a week that was on the educational channel for people who were learning English. That was not dubbed in Japanese. It was called The Defenders. And when that got done, there was another one. The Defenders was a lawyer show. And then there was another one called Slattery's People, which is about a representative. And it always started with that statement, you know. Democracy is a very bad form of government, except all the others, which are so much worse. Well, Churchill recognized the problem with democracy. But as a society turns away from God, democracy becomes increasingly tyrannical. Democracy is not good government. It can be good if the people are good. 
The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. So, is democracy better than a monarchy? Well, if you have a righteous king, a monarchy is a good government. If you have righteous people, democracy is a good government. Democracy means rule of the people. In a democracy, the people bear rule. If the people are wicked, democracy is not good at all. It becomes a very, very oppressive tyranny. America is a society which is turning away from God. And so, uh, when, when that happens, democracy isn't that great. But Americans pride themselves on their democracy. They think that they choose who the president's going to be. Got news for you. It is God who chooses who the president's going to be. The Bible says, powers of be ordained of God. God puts people in power. Now let's look at uh, American history. In the 2016 election, uh, Hillary won popular vote, and the overall popular vote. I have to emphasize that, because she only won the overall popular vote. There are other, many other popular votes. There are 3,000 counties in the United States. 50 states, but 3,000 counties. Donald Trump won the popular vote in... Uh, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote in about 500 of those counties, and Donald Trump won the popular vote in 2,500. So who should be president? You see, the Electoral College ensures regional distribution. So if you just look at the overall popular vote, Hillary should be president. But if you look at who won the regional distribution, it's Trump by a landslide. That's why the Electoral College is important. I don't want to get sidetracked on that, but I'll do that in a separate lecture. I have I had a lecture I prepared for my students on the Electoral College. And I'll uh, I'll do a podcast on, just on the Electoral College sometime and explain that, why it's important, why it's critical. It ensures regional distribution. Uh, Alaska has three electoral votes. What's their population? It used to be 600,000, maybe 700,000, less than a million, I don't know. But you say three out of 270 or whatever, total electoral votes is like 435. That's not very much, but it's a whole lot more of a percentage than they would be if, you, if it was just uh, on the popular vote. Their votes would be relatively insignificant. Okay, so... <clears throat> anyway, because of the Electoral College, sometimes the popular vote does not determine, the overall popular vote does not determine who the president is. So you often see mentioned uh, four or five times, whatever it is, that six times, I can't remember the exact number, but that the uh, that the uh, person who won the popular vote is different from the one guy won the popular vote and the other guy won the electoral vote. But the problem with that is that that list of people, that only includes the situations where there were two candidates and one won the electoral vote and the other won the popular vote. But there's a whole slug of them that, where nobody won the popular vote. You know, if you have a three-way race, you can have a situation where nobody has a popular vote. One person has a plurality. So, in most countries that don't have an electoral college, you have to have a runoff. So, let's say you got three candidates, you they all, all three of them run, and then you take the two highest vote getters and have another election after that between those two. It's called a runoff election, and that's what many countries have. America has avoided that 
because of the electoral college. So the electoral college means that sometimes the person with the popular vote uh, doesn't loses, and sometimes the person with a small plurality of the popular vote actually becomes president. Plurality, but not a majority. Minority of the popular vote. So here's the trivia question. Here's the trivia question, okay? Which president in American history was elected president, got to the White House with the smallest minority? Which president in American history was put in the White House with the smallest minority of the popular vote? I think it was 40, 41 percent. You know which one it is? His name was Abraham Lincoln. It's a four-way race. Very divided country at that time. In fact, I don't think historians have been able to identify a single vote for Lincoln in any of the southern states. You talk about hatred. Well, there was hatred that lasted for uh, more than 100 years. I mentioned about my friend Bill. He's from North Carolina. And uh, we talk about history, talk about a lot of things. Every single time I mentioned Lincoln, he always had the same statement. I'm not sorry Lincoln was shot. I'm just sorry he wasn't shot four years earlier. <laughs> he was a nice guy, too, a really nice guy. Couldn't stand Lincoln. He hated Lincoln as much as some people today hate Trump. There was America's a very divided country, and it's a divided country today. And, if you know, I spent a... There's a 10-year period uh, there in my life, uh, uh, well, about 20 years ago, more than that now. I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, I spent 10 years studying the American Civil War. And uh, I was reading, for a while, I was reading about a book a month. And the, the, the divisiveness, of course, of the country, of seeing a country falling apart, it's a, it's kind of a tragedy. But now, what I see in America is, is really quite frightening. <laughs> because a lot of that same sentiment is present. America is really, really in a very bad situation. A very divided country. But you see, here's the problem. Americans think they choose the president. So Americans say, because of democracy, we can have a great president like Lincoln. No, because of God, you can have a great president like Lincoln in spite of democracy. If democracy put the president in power, then the person with the highest majority would be the greatest president. But the person who was the greatest president had was elected with the lowest minority in history, lowest percentage of the popular vote in history, in American history, greatest president, elected with the lowest minority of the popular vote. God it is who exalts one, puts down another. And the prophet Daniel talks about this. Uh, <clears throat> he says, God removes kings, and he it raises up kings, puts kings in power. And there's actually a story in the, the book of Daniel about Nebuchadnezzar 
he had a dream about the tree being cut off, you know, he had several dreams, but anyway, this one dream, Daniel said, you're going to be, you're going to be brought down, brought low, and he exhorted him to repent, to change his ways. So what do you see, the very next section, is Nebuchadnezzar is parading around, you know, talking about how great he is, because thinking about how, uh, himself and what the great thing that he's created, and he was a great king. But, you know, it's like, man, you forgot that dream so quickly? And bang, immediately, he lost his reason, uh, became insane, and literally lived like a cow, and he grass in the field for seven years. And then he was restored to power. And I, I believe that Nebuchadnezzar actually came to faith in God through that experience. Not his sons or grandsons, you know, those, but I mean, Nebuchadnezzar himself really seemed like he came to, to believe in God after that because he realized God is able to humble anybody. God brought him down to nothing. He literally ate grass. He was crazy. Ate grass in the field like a cow, lived like a cow for seven years and then was restored. Reason was restored and actually restored to power, restored to his kingdom. He was a great leader. I mean, how could that happen, that a cow could become the leader of the country? You know, he was just, uh wasn't really a democracy, but the people just accepted that he was the king. The king's back. God it is who exalts one and brings down another. All authority comes from God. All power comes from God. And so, Americans, you know, at the outset, had this gift called democracy. And they worshiped God, and they recognized we're one nation under God. But now, uh, they've turned from worshiping God and worship this goddess of democracy. Democracy is a very cruel God. And uh, so Americans, even Christians, fall into this. They believe that democracy is the source of their freedom. Democracy is not the source of freedom. It, democracy is a gift by God to a free people. So you could say that democracy is the fruit of freedom. A free people can have democracy. If a people are not free, democracy is horrifying. But if people recognize this one nation under God, but you know, that's being challenged now. Uh, Kamala Harris actually questioned someone saying, you're a member of the Knights of Columbus, as if that, that was a sinister organization. Now, uh, I, I'm not a Roman Catholic, but I actually had an experience with the Knights of Columbus because I, I was in Lewiston. I worked with a pro-life movement. A guy, a friend of mine, called me up. He was a Catholic layman. He was also in the amateur radio club with me. And he uh, he was he went to St. Joe's, and they 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 were going to send him to the Right to Life Convention in Bismarck. And he wanted me to go instead. So he told them to you know they sent me the Knights of Columbus at St. Joe's sent me to the Right to Life Convention, and I came back and gave a report to them. But you know it was the Knights of Columbus who put uh, under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. Did you know that? It came from the Knights of Columbus. One nation under God. That under God was put in the Pledge of Allegiance by the Knights of Columbus. Yet, 
Kamala Harris is talking about this organization as being subversive and extremist. You know what I would have said? She would have said that to me. I'd say, I'd say, you know, your godless secularism is a much worse problem <laughs> than my membership in the Knights of Columbus. Criticizing uh, God-fearing people without any recognition that their own religion of godlessness is much more extreme and much more hostile to freedom. So it's a, it's a frightening time in America. Now, thinking back on this and looking at it, what really is the most powerful influence, the most powerful factor in determining who the leader is. The Bible says in Second Chronicles 7.14, if I'm not mistaken, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Uh, if you believe that we, we put the president in power, if you believe that democracy is the ruler, is the determiner of who the leader is, then you focus on things like advertising, you know, how to get out of the vote. Those kinds of factors is what you consider. But if you really understand that God sets up one and puts down another, what really is the most dynamic force determining leader? in terms of us, you know, as human beings? The answer is prayer. Prayer is the most powerful force because prayer appeals to a sovereign God who has the power to decide who the next leader is going to be. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Okay, you guys, get out and vote. I, uh, I'm in China, so I'm not voting. <laughs> uh, there's a very serious problem for uh, under American law for People who vote abroad, you can be arrested when you return to the United States. One of my colleagues was arrested, and he went back to America. Went back to see his family, and he was arrested as soon as he tried to enter the country because he had voted abroad. You see, the problem is they take jury duty from the voter polls. And so because he had voted, he got called for jury duty. He didn't show up, and so he was incarcerated. So there's a real danger in voting abroad, and they need to fix that law. But until they do, I refrain. <laughs> so, and, and there's, a, I also, I have to be honest, I also have an ethical issue. It's, it'd be perfectly legal, legal to, for me to have an absentee ballot, but is it really ethical? You know, I fill out my 2555EZ form every year, which classifies me as a non-resident alien, so I don't, income tax is excluded. You know, if you're not paying taxes in a state, not paying should you really be choosing who the local dog catcher is, you know? <laughs> 
They need to have a special ballot for people to live abroad, I guess is what I'm saying. But I, I do I do I say that because I'm abroad. I, when I was in the United States, I always voted. I took voting very, very seriously. Very seriously. And I, and I strongly urge you to do that. Now, I want to say just a, just a little bit about write-ins, because we were talking about that the other day in the politics group. You know, if you, if you, uh, if you write in a candidate that doesn't have a chance of winning, really, you're, you're absenting yourself from making the important choice. But I can't really say it's a bad thing to do if you're really serious, because maybe 10 years from now, if you're really behind somebody who's pushing somebody who has a chance to be put in power because of your influence, then 10 years from now, people will be thanking you. So, if you're gonna, if you're gonna vote, you know, don't just write in, if you're gonna do a write in, don't just write in Donald Duck or something. Now, yesterday I was reading in the Wall Street Journal of Peggy Noonan, and she's a very, very gifted writer, and I always like to read her, her articles, uh, but she doesn't like Trump. And she's gonna, she said she's gonna write in Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke? I think the world of Edmund Burke. I'd, I'd vote for Edmund Burke too, but how many centuries has he been dead? You know, <laughs> you know. Uh, her writing is actually obviously a political statement. Edmund Burke is the father of conservatism, so she's saying I'm conservative to the core, but I don't like Trump. You know, I don't think that's a good idea. You make yourself irrelevant to history. Well, maybe not. She says she's making a statement, but no, I, I really think you are making yourself irrelevant to history. You have a chance to choose. Look, when you walk into the voting booth, if there are two angels on the ballot, you pick the best angel. But if there are two human beings on the ballot, it's a real simple choice. You pick the one who's least likely to create a problem or going to bring the least amount of evil or do the most amount of good. It's, it's, just, it's just a simple choice. It's, you know, the, the lesser two evils. Lesser, which, which person, you know, they're both imperfect people, but which, in terms of their policies and what they're going to do to the country, is going to cause the least amount of heartache and the least amount of damage and make things the most positive for those who want to walk in righteousness and follow God's ways. Okay, guys, get out and vote. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time. This podcast is hosted online at beijingdiary.podbean.com. That's beijingdiary.podbean.com. <laughs>